0: From New, from New York City, City. the world-famous comedy seller presents Live from, Live from
1: America Podcast With Noam Dorman and Hattam Gabber Live from America Podcast Where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation Get together weekly to discuss today's issues As they cover news, culture, politics comedy and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy and now
0: here are your hosts Hattam Gabber and Noam Dorman. Hello and welcome to live from America podcast one of the comedy sellers podcast Uh, this is Hattam. Noam Dorman is on vacation out of the country enjoying his uh, time but Hosting for him is Boris Haiken, comedian and good friend. Hello. Hello, hello. Good to I see you. I think
1: I can be an okay stand in gnome. <laughs> no one can be gnome.
0: <laughs> I just gotta yell at our guest a lot. You have to yell and interrupt and uh, no <laughs> and make well, I'm, good happy points. To,
2: uh, I'm happy there won't be a yelling today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and our guest of honor uh is Karl Anagbu. Uh, I'm sorry for mispronouncing uh, it. Um, uh, Carl is about- a lawyer and a journalist. Uh, he currently runs the uh, oldcarlslaw.com, uh, a uh, very good website. Uh, he's the editor and he uh, formerly uh, was running the comedybeat.com. He has a very interesting book that we're going to discuss a lot. And I think it's very important these days. And it's like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is something that we have to discuss these days. Um, Comedy Goes to Court. Uh, comedy goes to court when people stop uh laughing and start fighting um uh, Carl welcome to the show
2: oh thank you very much gentlemen I'm so honored to to be able to join you guys
0: uh you also uh, you uh, studied at Columbia University uh uh for journalism and um and then in my University of Miami uh as a lawyer for the law yes, right sir. yeah so yes, so yeah so tell us so this is an important comment because as Boris knows, all the comedians get in a lot of trouble. All entertaining, like I think it used to be, back in the day with lawsuits and stuff like that. With everybody, they used to be like, "Oh, if something happened." I'll-. So now people look for lawsuits in every level, you know, like businesses. Like I, know, I have people, uh, friends that own restaurants, and their employees are constantly contacted by lawyers is like, hey, I could do this for you. I could do this for you. You know, same thing with comedy, same thing. Somebody like TMZ is based on, the, on like breaking news and like, oh shit, somebody's losing their temper or whatever, you know? So a lot of people like start looking for when somebody says something is like to cancel them the new term or not new, but you know, or to get them in trouble. So this is why I think it's, it's very good to understand. And it's funny enough, I have a friend of our friend, Lou Perez, was just asking me before the show. I was like, hey, I need, he's making this um, uh, show and he need a good lawyer to make sure that he's secure himself. I was like, oh, I have the perfect guest to ask. So, (laughs) uh, Carl, first, how did you, how did you get into comedy and, you know, and then writing this book? How did, how did this whole thing started?
2: So thanks for um, having me. And this is uh, such a privilege. I mean, there's no other place I'd rather be talking about this book than, the world-famous comedy seller. Uh, So, but um, my journey to comedy um, at first, I mean, I was just, you know, somebody who initially looked at comedy from the outside, you know, like folks who are not practicing comedians, so to speak. Then when I uh, got to Columbia, when I was in school studying journalism, that was my first, you know, foray into uh, comedy writing. Uh, because I, uh, not comedy writing in the sense of like writing for a show, but, you know, commentaries on comedy. Uh, so my first uh, brush with that was when I submitted that for a class assignment, you know, like as a student. So I went to some comedy club and, you know, you know, like covered what was happening. You know, some comics were performing. I think it may have been like uh, some open mic kind of thing. hmm Mm-hmm. So yeah, I covered that, I thought that was interesting. So I covered that, submitted that for class. And then, you know, subsequently, I returned, you know, just took in shows, not necessarily writing about them for class, but just, you know, enjoying the shows. So anyway, but that was the first time that I really uh, took a formal interest in writing about comedy, making those kinds of commentaries. Uh, then uh, down the road after graduation, when I... Uh, started to practice law, I had some colleagues of mine from way back in school, you know, they came up with this idea of wanting to start a website, you know, to cover like news concerning comedy. And then it kind of brought me back to, I I kind of rediscovered my interest in comedy. So that was how I decided to like, yeah, step over, onto the other lane because i was practicing law so i stepped onto the other lane to co-found to co-found that website as an editor and reporter and uh yeah so at that point we began to really cover Kennedy. previously i had worked for a real estate publication as a reporter i mean if you know new york city there's this publication called uh, the real deal it's
0: okay sadly...
2: all right so but so I did that, and then I did freelance journalism. So that so those were my uh, things before I formally, I formally um, entered the comedy space uh, from a journalistic point of view. Okay,
0: so Robert uh, Boris, for for you, like as a comedian, when you start, obviously one of the things I always know is like with social media, with paperwork, with stuff like that, comedians they don't want to care about this shit, right? Like you don't want to post, you don't want to. But you have to protect yourself. So what was like when you first started comedy? You've been doing comedy for a while now. So when you started comedy, what was the, you know, did you get into any legal issues like contracts, people not paying you or like uh, uh, whatever, you know, anything that legally? um...
1: I've I've had like minor squabbles where like, because New York, you get a lot of weird like media companies have like net 60, net 90, like payments where, you know, they'll, They'll give themselves 90 days after you complete a job to pay on a freelance invoice. And then the ones that'll do something like net 90 usually won't pay you within 90 days either. You'll have to like email them and threaten a couple of things. I've threatened one company with uh, there's a specific company with like, uh you know, I just looked up language to use that. Like, I don't actually know what I'm talking about, but I'd be like. You know, I'm going to report it to the district attorney and the New York, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, they'll pay up usually in that case. But otherwise, nothing too crazy. The closest I had was I had a job um, not that long ago where they needed to do a background check and they do a social media scan. And it's I love it because uh, most of the time they're not actually going to like not hire you because of it. But what you get is you get a beautiful like 13 page document of all the tweets and Facebook posts that they found flagged for sexual conduct, for threats of violence. They, you know, they're all jokes, but it's great because it's just a re- I'm like, oh yeah, that was hilarious. I remember when <laughs> I posted that. It's just a nice little 13-page document of some of my funniest tweets and posts that they remind me of. Sometimes they'll make they'll ask you to take stuff down. I haven't had to deal with that, but I know people who have been asked to take stuff down. And I'm sure that was, you know, some yeah. of them did it. Some of them probably refused. I thankfully this last gig, they didn't make me take anything down, but they sent me a nice document of all the like 28 posts or whatever
0: it was that they found concerning. Yeah, but not only oh. about that, I, I have some people that co-wrote stuff. And then when the when the, when it was sold to a big network, you know, they said, oh, no, you're not part of this anymore, you know, stuff like that. So, but here's the thing, uh, which to Carl is like, I see a lot of people, especially with the comedians, first thing you look for is a a manager, an agent. I never hear anybody say, hey, I want a lawyer, (laughs) you know?
2: And that's where the problem is. Um, Frankly, initially, they didn't need to have to get a lawyer because it was a different time from one generation ago to where we are now. Uh, What I am talking about, this is a new phenomenon that kind of uh, broke onto the scene. Maybe in just the past, two decades and a half tops, let's say uh, from 2000 toward the present time. That was when this phenomenon of lawsuits as part of sort of a cost of doing business in the comedy space, you know, began to take hold where, you know, like, you know, for me, I uh, for me, it was like one of those situations where you, you go in to looking for one thing and then you go in there and you discover that there's something else that is there now on the scene that wasn't there before. So for me, it's like I went into uh when I was an editor at Comedy Beat, I went into comedy to cover the fun and games of comedy. But then I discovered that now there is this uh awkward interaction increasingly between comedy and the law, with lawsuits and those kinds of things, following comedians and becoming like a factor in their lives, something. They Can you give to... an example of like what lawsuits
0: comedians could face?
2: Oh, tons, tons. Either you could face a lawsuit either at the beginning, like the contract, how you made the contract, for instance. or uh, Maybe trying to get paid. I mean, I have in the book here. Oh, by the way, this is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Coming goes to court when people stop laughing and start fighting. So, yeah. So, I mean, I have uh, a whole like about seven chapters here, beginning, it's like, it's like a, a 360 degree with respect mm-hmm. to the life of a comedian, beginning from like, how you even start the work, the contract, the agreement to begin the work. That's the first chapter, which is called hashing Out the Deal for Comedy Work. And here I have all this uh, coverage about lawsuits involving, uh, you know, like folks like Howard Stern, folks like John Lovitz, you know, Dave Chappelle, you know, uh, Gary Shandlin, you know, so yeah. these are suits that they were Even Conan O'Brien. So, could these you elaborate? Were
1: suits, could you yeah, elaborate like, more on like because obviously, you know, contracts that's been around for a long time in terms uh-huh. of getting shafted with a contract or like not knowing what you're signing. What do you mean though by what's new in the past like 25 years? Do you mean like with um like the way that like Netflix and like things like that in terms of streaming, or is there something else that's new? That too.
2: Well, if you're talking about the contract, mostly it will be contracts with um many of these uh, companies, you know, that hire comedians to perform something, either say maybe Netflix or maybe some important comedy club or some venue you know, that presents comedy shows. So yeah, um, you have to like make sure that the deal itself is structured in a way that there is no confusion. Like one example I used to give is like when you try to structure the deal and let's say you want to Go from point A to point B. Maybe for for folks who live in New York, you want to go from Times Square to, say, Grand Central. Maybe they are going to charge you $50 to do that if you get there within the hour. Okay. And then if somebody says, somebody who is not part of the deal says, well, okay, so if you get there within the hour, it will be $50. What if you have some traffic situation that holds you up and you don't get there until two hours? Would it still be $50? Well, if both of you don't agree on the same answer, then you have a lawsuit in your future. You understand? That kind of rule of found. Mm. So um, got- well, like pr-
1: practically, I'm not sure if I follow, practically speaking, like what's a good example, or maybe there's a real example of a lawsuit that you wouldn't see 25 years ago that you would see today?
2: Oh, you know, there are lots like, uh, well, that's, well, so that's the first one. Then there's the, this big thing with, um, the the big nice big chapter here is like free speech, right? That's a huge area where people get sued every day. Like, you um, know, pre- just one generation ago, if you made a joke about, let's say, uh, Mitt Romney and some, if you talked about say he's um, like the, the suit they filed one somebody filed against a Jalen, one of the suits that I discussed there, uh, he made a joke about how Mitt Romney's uh, money. His where he lived was so opulent that it kind of looked like some uh Indian temple, the temple of Amritza, some very shiny, glazy temple there. And then some Indian American guy from Los Angeles sued him. You know, that he was defaming, you know, Indian Americans and all that stuff. So, I mean, one generation ago, it would have been like, oh, this is just comedy, you know, folks joking around. But today, um, these things can actually get you in a courtroom. Or when he made another joke, he brought some guys to his show who talked about some flight attendant who was smuggling uh who they are uh, they they made the joke that she was smuggling rats, um, rabbits, sorry, rabbits onto the plane in her underwear. So they kind of made jokes about oh, oh, she likes things I that crawl around and you know, stuff like you know. Jim Norton was on the show. So they got sued. You know, so but again, these are suits that don't amount to much, but they are fired today increasingly. Some are frivolous, but they are there just because they are frivolous doesn't mean they won't cost you um, days and times in court and money to get lawyers. So I feel like
0: like that. Some of these suits like are inevitable, like it's going to happen. It's not going to. Is it going to affect you like without like. Do you have to respond to them? I mean, I understand the stress part of it. You know, maybe it's a little time, but do you actually have to um, respond to that?
2: Well, You do have to. Like okay, like 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 the lawsuit against John Oliver by this uh, coal industry billionaire, a guy named uh, Robert Murray, who owns you know the biggest coal company in the country. So this was something from 2017, when o- Oliver was uh, knocking knocking the Trump administration. Uh, you know, they were having all this big talk about reviving the coal industry and stuff. And then they had, uh, as part of that whole effort, they had this billionaire, you know, come testify uh, before Congress, you know, like giving a prop to those programs. Now, Oliver takes a shot at them in one of his episodes. You know, he was criticizing the administration and then he took a shot at this billionaire. This was a billionaire who, I think back in 2017, there was, no, back in 2007, sorry, there was an explosion somewhere in Utah at the mine that killed like about nine people. And then there were issues about, well, you know, what was the cause of this explosion? So this billionaire said, well, look, you know, it was an earthquake. But Oliver said, no, that there was a government report that said it was because of sloppy, you know, precautions at the mine. So there was that disagreement there. Then... Oliver also said, you know, that the guy was some geriatric or Dr. Evil, you know, that all that stuff. So this guy, before the show ran, he called and said, look, you know, we believe uh, this is defamation. It's false. If you run this episode with us in this way, we are going to see you. We are going to sue you. Well, Oliver being Oliver, he, he said that before his, you know, he said that... um.
0: The monologue. The show, yeah.
2: Yeah. That, you know... Um, He's been threatened with a cease and disease that he's going to run the thing anywhere. So he ran the episode and lo and behold, yeah, you know, he got sued. So that one sounds like, I mean, I don't feel
1: terrible only because like it sounds like a dumb lawsuit. I'm guessing Oliver has the financial means and HBO has the financial means now that's to the fight problem. that stuff.
2: Now you put your finger on something big. You put your finger on something really big. So the suit ended early, right? He won. Big time.
1: Easy. John John
2: Oliver won. Obviously, obviously, right? Obviously, I mean, a comedian has so many ways of winning. First of all, it's very difficult to win against a comedian with these suits. It's difficult. Because are free speech. Speeches. Huh?
0: Because Second Amendment, free speech.
2: Fourth Amendment, yeah. So it's not easy to win against comedians with that kind of lawsuit. But the problem is not even to win necessarily. It's the whole. Sometimes they file these lawsuits as strategic. Attempts to like shut the comedian up. So, Oliver won this lawsuit easily. But before he won the suit, at the very early stages, he had paid over $200,000 to lawyers up until that point. Plus, his libel insurance went up like more than by 300%. So, these are part of the thing. I mean, this billionaire wasn't looking to win the suit. He knew that it was a joke. The suit was, you know, crazy stuff that was going to get dismissed. But it was a strategic thing. And it kind of looks like what Donald Trump did with Bill Maher when he sold him, when Bill Maher said, uh, look, if Donald Trump could produce uh, his birth certificate to show that he wasn't the son of uh, an orange orangutan and some woman, a human woman, that he would give him five million dollars. You know, he said uh, that Donald Trump's uh, hair, the color of his hair and the color of um, an orange orangutan were the two things in nature. Of the same color, you know, that kind of thing. So he said all of that on Jay Leno's show. Then he said, oh, like, if, first first of all, the backstory here is, I don't know if you remember when Trump was saying that Obama, Barack Obama wasn't born in this country. Mm -hmm. You know, that whole Bartha conspiracy thing. When he said, well, if Obama could uh, produce his birth certificate to show he was born in this country, that he would give him $5 million, that kind of thing. So Ma turned the thing around on Trump. And said, "Well, look, if you could show that you are not the son of an orange orangutan and a woman, I'll give you five billion dollars." So it was all in the context of a joke, a national joke. Well, so um, the following week, Donald Trump sued him. Said, "Look, you know, this is my birth certificate. I was born in Queens, so pay me five million dollars. That's the deal." Well, you know, look, that lawsuit wasn't gonna go anywhere. But so on April Fool's day. 2013, he withdraws the lawsuit, threatening to like, oh, he's going to refile the thing. But that wasn't the point. The point was a strategic lawsuit again to like.
0: So, so you're saying that some people will take uh, a chance just to either get recognition or to to take a comedian out or stuff like that if they have the means have in the, the case means. of
1: John Oliver, um, like that sounds like actual damages with his insurance going up and stuff. Could he counter sue to cover those damages?
2: well, you know, this is America. There are too many lawyers out there. You could sue. You could literally sue about anything. You say
1: that as someone who
2: became a lawyer. (laughs) Way to add
1: to the problem.
2: No, but seriously, I mean, you know, you could be sued for anything in America. This society is addicted to lawsuits, you know. so and, And it's part of the problem for comedy because here's the context here. Comedy today is a big deal. It's not like one generation ago when if you told your parents you wanted to become a comedian, you know, they might try to discourage you, say, come on, do something that maybe actually gets you paid, you know, go be a lawyer, go be a teacher. You know, that one generation ago, it was all just a joke, you know, fun and games. Today, comedy has become a big thing, has come into its own. It's a way now that you could make a living. Yeah. So, and then, apart from that, so there's fame and fortune to be had from comedy today, unlike before. And then, Comedy now also has a bigger footprint on the pop culture. You know, like the conversation today, uh, comedians play a very big, especially political comedy. Yeah.
0: I think one I one of the important things is is uh, that maybe we need to discuss is, you know, comedians lose jobs because of things that they say outside of um you know, like social media outside of the company that hired them. Like, and not only comedians, a lot of other people, like now with the political, um, you know, the uh, division between and everything, you know, not only Trump and Biden before, but, you know, Palestine, Israel, you know, all that, you know, you say one thing, you can lose his job. Same thing with huh. comedians. Like this, how many people that were fired that we know from SNL, Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. because of the after they get. So how can they protect themselves or how can anybody protect themselves? Is it protected in general? Or do you need a contract, say, like, um, or can you put, like, I see a lot of people putting disclaimers on, like, uh, the social media, like, uh, uh, opinions on my own and stuff like that. Like, what would be the steps that people need to take, comedians specifically, to protect themselves from losing jobs because of where they stand or who they, you know, stand for and what they stand for and stuff like that?
2: Uh-huh. First of all, Canadians are citizens just like any other citizen. There is no greater protection for Canadians from getting sued than for the school teacher, you know, who could get sued or who could get fired from their jobs or something. Obviously, if you get fired uh, outside the provisions of the contract, if you have a contract um, entitling you to some protections, if well, that's fired, what I meant.
0: What should you do in your, your contract? Like, what should you add when you negotiate to protect you from stuff like that?
2: Well, there is freedom of contract. If you could say, for instance, you know, you cannot be fired. You can't stipulate to uh, be able to get fired only for cause. Cause means uh, there has to be some real tangible concrete reason for you to get fired that relates to the, the job itself, especially the performance. If you are not able to perform the contract, then you know you could get that could then become something for cause. Or if you behave, if you conduct yourself in a manner that damages or the service or the product, that makes uh, people not want to associate, you know, with that program or something. You know that some kind of moral clause and all that. So you could like stipulate that you can uh, you can only be fired for cause. Something that amounts to like a real tangible. Pain. not because um somebody didn't like what he said about politics about Gaza or about um you know some issue Let, let's say the abortion ruling in Alabama the other day you know some what well, any some of that kind of stuff things you do on your own time mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean this unfortunately there is freedom of contract you know um if you can get it into the contract that's fine but you know uh, most employers probably, well, may some employers may not go with you to like stipulate for, uh, cause a lot of times they say it's at will, yeah, and at will protects you because the comedian can also walk away, if he doesn't like the setup, he's not going, he's not going to get boxed in, into the deal, because you know there is something they call uh, when you uh, when you are a comedian, and you are hired to perform, one you are an independent contractor two. It's also a contract of personal service. Nobody can compel an employer to associate with an employee that they don't want to associate with. So having that kind of contract of personal service is not like a contract to buy land. If I if I contract to sell you land and you don't want to go along with the contract, I could get an order from the court forcing you to sell the land to me. But you cannot force somebody to keep a servant on that they don't want to keep on because mm-hmm. it's a contract of personal service. You understand? Yeah. So, I is sort of like that. So, again, like I said, you want to stipulate in the contract. As, as they say, you know, good job if you can get it. So, you can try to stipulate whatever you want to stipulate, but um, if the other side agrees, that's fine, but... Um, at Most unfortunately
0: they won't agree.
2: Yeah, mostly, a lot of times, you know, if you just want to do a gig or something, they make it a contract of Know, an at-wheel contract but if it's like a contract where you want to uh, let's say Howard Stern and Sirius satellite Sirius SM sorry where there's a contract for you know um you know a, a couple a number of years and then you know one of the cases I discussed there was okay, let's say if you increase the number the viewership of the thing by a certain amount of people you get this much. okay well what if you increase that number? by simply a merger instead of like an organic growth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So would you still get the same money? It was the kind of uh, thing that involved Howard Stern at Serious XM. So if uh, the number of people watching this show is say, let's say 5,000, you get this much. Okay, now that time comes up. Instead of 5,000, the number has multiplied. This time, it wasn't organic growth. It multiplied simply because the company acquired under company that brought in those many people. You understand. Mm-hmm. So the question was: Are you still entitled to that money, even if you know they simply increased the numbers because of acquisition, not because of organic growth of you increasing the viewership? So those are the things, the kinds of language you need in a contract to protect yourself. So when when it comes to those contracts, where you are dealing with corporations and stuff, yeah, that's sort of what it involves. But uh, in terms of when you get fired, yeah, I mean, if you are making that kind of high dollar contract, yeah, you can probably win some stipulation for cause, you know, fire getting fired for cause, you know, because it's a multi-year, it goes on for a number of years, you know, there's a lot of money involved. So yeah, that's different. But if you're just a guy doing a gig, let's say at a Gotham or you know, seller, for instance, a lot of times it's just. Um, more like an at will contract, and you know, um, you can leave, or they can tell you to leave. So that kind of stuff. But where uh-huh. comedians get their biggest protection is with respect to free speech. I mean, it's so difficult to win against a comedian. First of all, you know,
1: like in America,
2: in America, in America, in Canada, yeah, can- you
1: can could... Canada not so much.
2: Yeah. No, not so much. I mean, I have a case here where a guy took a shot at a disabled kid. And they made him pay thousands of dollars. Yeah, you know, something that could never happen. We in this we country. all we all know that case here, well, Mike. Ward, it could never happen here. Or uh, the case. I, and that case I have here from Germany. Somebody insulted uh, the leader of Turkey, saying that uh, you know that he watches child porn and had sex with goats. You know that kind of stupid stuff. He said, "Well, you know he almost went to prison for insulting a foreign leader." Again, something that in this country could never happen. So America, because of the First Amendment, you know, it makes us completely different from other societies, and ultimately, it is the best place you could be a comedian. So that, well, I mean, that kind of
0: comedy you. is an American art that started here first. You know, exactly, a lot of exactly. people, you know. You Boris, know, I, will yeah, say,
1: yeah. I will say, I will say, I agreed a hundred percent in terms of America. You know, both having those rights and, uh, in general, great country. But um. However, there's something interesting about like the fact that you could, you know, back in the day when America wasn't so true to those values and you had, you know, your Lenny Bruce's and stuff and there was a real like kind of like telling truth to power feeling of it. I, I wonder I'm not familiar with this at all. So maybe you have some insight into this. I wonder if in those countries like Canada or, you know, places in Europe where it feels more like a punk rock telling truth to power, because I think in America. You have a lot of John Oliver types where like, you know, no shade really, but that'll pat themselves (laughs) on the back as if they're telling truth to power when you don't necessarily have that same risk. And so I think in America you have a lot of people that do political commentary that's not always that funny, but where they feel real proud of themselves for like telling truth to power and kind of compromise for not being so funny compensate rather for not being so funny with the idea that they're doing challenging comedy the way Lenny Bruce did when that's just not really the case today you know they're not really risking shit compared to somebody in Canada who's like yeah he's maybe not doing the smartest joke making fun of a handicapped kid or whatever but he's actually challenging the government in Canada because he actually has the risk of getting arrested or, or getting a fine for it you don't have that so much in America I wonder if comedy suffers a little bit from it even
2: um say is a, a disadvantage, frankly, is a big advantage. I mean, look, you know, if you could say the kinds of things you could say here and get away with that. I mean, if you say half some of the things you say here freely in places like even Canada, you know, you're in for it. Imagine China. I mean, I had a guy come to oh, I, of, I, like, I
1: was I was born in one of those places, so you don't want to tell me. That.
2: I mean, yeah. So I mean, if you in some places, you have to submit your material to censors, official censors. You know, so, I mean, if you deviate from the script, you know, yeah, you're, like, totally in a harm's way. So, but in this country, though, I mean, I don't think that's a problem because it allows comedy to be free and true to its form. I mean, look, I mean, st- stand-up is um, a beautiful, uh, you know, monological, you know, art form. You know, you... You go where the thing is, where the phone is, where the joke is, without worrying so much about the government, you know, taking you down and stuff. I mean, look, um it's better now than in Lenny Bruce's time. I mean, Lenny Bruce, you know, he he said he got in trouble, got convicted, he died a convicted uh, you know, a convict, a criminal convict. When he died in 1966, he was still uh, the conviction hadn't been overturned. But the things he got in trouble for, talking about sex and religion and things like that, in ways that people thought, you know, were like disrespectful and dirty and things, today is nothing. You could do like, it like, it goes back to what he just said. You know, you say that today is totally nothing. I mean, the era, the other countries you mentioned, America was like that in the, in the 1960s. You know, Lenny Bruce got, even George Carlin got arrested, you know. I don't know if you, one story that um, Colin told where he, um, Lenny Bruce got arrested and then George Colin himself got arrested too and then he got put in the same uh, police vehicle where Lenny Bruce was. Then he told Lenny Bruce about, oh, Lenny Bruce asked him, what are you doing here? He told him, well, you know, I was saying the same thing you were saying. You know, Bruce told him that he was being an idiot, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but it was like that back in the day in this country, like a generation so- ago. When people didn't think much of comedy, it was just fun and games. And it was let, let me ask time. you, that,
0: let me ask you this: as uh, um, I think one of the major things that comedians, you know, uh, like to protect. Uh, I'm sure Boris will agree, is uh, you know, stealing jokes. You know, oh, people getting jokes from from others, or uh, you know, so I, I want to say copyright, but you know. A lot of it's not copyrighted, obviously. It's like you you go to a club, like Boris can elaborate more on that. You could go to a club, you hear somebody saying a joke or you have the idea of the joke and you twist it a little bit, it becomes yours. Or I see a lot of like um, European comedians will take old material American comedian and they will switch it up to their language and do their own. A lot of, not only like in Europe, around the world actually, they, they get a lot of like old material and even like, I see a lot of very, very new comics, you know, try to get like like George Garland stuff or stuff or like that. And they, so uh, Boris, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? And then we can ask Carl, like, how do you protect yourself? How can you, uh, is there any way that you can? I, because I think this is one of the major problems for comics and comedians.
1: I, I guess I think it's definitely. Um... Well, you know, the advice always to comics is to just kind of, like, put your head down and keep writing. Because if you're a guy that's, like, doesn't have a TV special and you're in the club and somebody who's got Comedy Central connects and whatever, it's just, like, there's really not a lot you can do. It sucks. It sucks a lot. And, like, the people who do it a lot get a reputation among other comics. uh, You know, even, like, Robin Williams had a reputation for, like, you'd turn on a light in the back of the club when he was there so you knew not to do any material that wasn't out there. But, like... Otherwise, you, you kind of like, you know, the, you just if, if that one joke was going to make your career, you're not really going to have that much of a career. So, like, that's the unfortunate reality of it is that, like, I don't know if there's a lot legally. I'll just add to what I said before, though, in a parallel. And I 100 percent agree. It's obviously better to do comedy in America. I just mean from like a kind of punk rock standpoint, it's kind of like how weed is legal now and everybody smokes weed and it's just not as cool in some ways as it was. Or like, you know, that song, uh, what's that classic, um, what it was wrong. Do you know, do you know that song? Uh, do you remember it? it, It's about like hooking up and like how it felt better when it was like hiding out in the back of the bleachers when it was wrong. And then now that it's then now that it's okay. And like we're married or whatever, it's not so fun. And so same thing that like, Yeah, I mean, it's cool doing politics, but, you know, people for four years under Trump were patting themselves on the back for calling him an orange pig or whatever. And like, you know, John Oliver got sued, but your average like vice writer or like somebody at, you know, Broadway Comedy Club or whatever that's calling Trump orange clown is not they're not speaking any truth to power. So I just mean like it felt it felt like Lenny Bruce was punk rock. And there's a reason we talk about Lenny Bruce. And it's precisely because he had the risk and reality of getting arrested for it. Right. And so I feel like now in order to be punk rock, you you have to have completely different avenues than simply like calling Joe Biden an old idiot or calling Trump an orange clown or whatever. There, It takes a lot more, which is cool. It takes more talent. It takes more. It, only in America. Can you have someone involved beyond that because you have so much freedom?
2: No, you know, uh, it's interesting you should mention uh you should mention that, you know, like comedy, the stealing of jokes in comedy is like an old industry problem. I mean, it's been there, you know, people shouldn't do it, but they do it. You see, the it comes down to the role of gatekeepers, you know. Gatekeepers, I mean the bookers who book shows at clubs and places. I mean, like you know, if you like, if you are a known joke thief, yeah, they may not book you if you steal jokes from other comedians and stuff. So that kind of uh, industry self regulation, blackballing bad actors, yeah, that remains the most effective way in comedy because if you look at the copyright laws, they don't protect comedy as much as they protect things like music or movies. For instance, you know, look, in a comedy joke, you have the punchline, then you have the setup. Okay, so the setup, very important because, you know, the punchline comes from the setup. You could get a lot of things from just the setup. Now, the the punchline is just something that follows, you know, as a matter of course. In comedy, nobody protects the setup. In the movies, setup is kind of like equivalent to like the plot, you know. You 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 don't steal the plot of a movie, no. You'll be breaching some copyright uh, law, so comedy lacks lacks that kind of effective protection. And then, with respect to the punchline, all you have to do to not get in trouble for stealing the punchline is to just vary the thing a little bit. If the punchline ends with ABC, you can say, you know, XYZ. That that little variation can keep you in the clear from you know uh, accusations of you know copyright infringement, but. Like, you know, I have in the book, the other thing you mentioned, which is very, very pertinent, is this thing about uh, smaller actors being, like, uh, scooped by bigger people with larger microphones, you know. Like, the cases I have here, I mean, I'm not trying to accuse Conan O'Brien or Michael Shea. You know, they have cases I cover here where, you know, smaller actors... You know, in the case of Conan, you know, somebody made a joke on Twitter. He said that... um, The same evening, after his joke, he made his joke in the morning about the Washington Monument, suffering shrinkage, you know, that kind of thing. The same evening, Conan O'Brien makes the same joke on his show. So this guy got pissed off and said, well, that was was actually my joke. Why would you make the joke? So pay me, he sued Conan. Pay me for using my joke, you know, copyright infringement. Well, well, just to,
0: you know, know, not to defend Conan, but, you know, uh, there is a possibility that people think alike in a way uh and also there's writers in the show like but what people see when they see conan or somebody is like saying just this show it's not them writing every day for everything there's writers you know there's a writing room there's a head writer there's writers and they write jokes they give him the monologue he can add stuff to it if he wants to if he have jokes if he wants to but you know and also i've i have seen people saying the same jokes even with um they don't know each other, so I mean, not because you just wrote it that doesn't mean you know uh especially in Twitter, like do you follow him in Twitter so he can steal that? You know what I'm saying um, it's sort of an interesting spider web of
1: implications,
0: like yeah, on the one
1: hand, it's like if you have a hundred followers on Twitter, what are the odds that Conan is looking at your Twitter. <laughs> but also like you know there there are like let's say it was one of conan's writers that actually did steal it and you i mean uh, that sounds like it'd be pretty difficult to prove but if you could somehow prove it you know that writer conan's technically liable for what his writers do on the show yes. you know if the Obviously. if the writers don't own the material they write for the show which i'm sure they don't that means the show is also liable for that material if it owns that material um, but the other thing I was gonna say because stand up's obviously a little bit different than writing for a, a show. In particular, you know, stand up in general obviously is like an effervescent art form. Like even watching video of stand up isn't the purest form of what stand up is. It's it's live and in person. And so, like, you know, the the other thing these are like not legal advice, but comedy advice that like what people always say is keep your head down and keep writing. But also, you know, you. <laughs> The premise can overlap in terms of if your material is dating in New York is hard, there's going to be thousands of other people that have that same setup. If your setup is, you know, it, it's weird having balls or whatever, <laughs> there's going to be other male comics that have that same setup. So, the other advice for a lot of people that they say is, you know, write a specific to yourself. You know, like I'm a, a, an immigrant from Ukraine who's married with a baby. And like, how many other Ukrainian comics that are married with a baby are living in Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. Two. It's actually two. I know two. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> There's not that many, and we all follow each other on Twitter. So we'll Mm -hmm. know if somebody steals from one or the other.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you should mention that. I mean, first of all, um, Hatton talks about, you know, maybe comedians, that if you have uh, a similar joke, it it doesn't necessarily mean that you stole from, you know, there's something they call parallel thought. Right. Parallel thought, you know, because, you know, comedians kind of look at the world more similarly to each other than to the rest of us. You know, than the rest of us. So you know, two comedians can see the same thing and kind of look at it the same. You know, broadly, similarly, than somebody who is not a comedian. So there's that parallel thought there. That's why um, in a place like comedy, it becomes super important that you show that the other person at least had the occasion to see your joke. If it's a joke on Twitter, then you know, well, everybody has access to Twitter yeah and if you post it
0: there it's kind of like okay this is like you know you're a twitter but uh, i i do see some comedians try like when they think of something they post it like on social media to kind of prove like hey i said that at that time Mm -hmm. so it's it's okay but also i've seen like it's very it's very hard uh well i've seen where people like in one show i'll be watching and the comic will go and talk about something uh in a joke, and then somebody else come three sets in the same show and say the same thing or similar to it, and mm-hmm. it's not stealing, I think. But here's the thing: to me, is like if there is, like, say, if Boris uh, is a political comedian, he always talk about politics. He always talk about like uh, Trump. He always talk about you know this, and he comes and say a joke at Trump that somebody else maybe said. It's like okay, maybe they thought the same thing. But if Boris only talk about sex, never talked about politics and stuff like that. And then he took it, I'll be like, hmm, okay, interesting. And the other thing is, like, even in baseball, like, I remember in sports in general, when they used to, like, have steroids and stuff like that, it's like, oh, he took steroids. Yeah, so what? But he made $300 million, you know? <laughs> so what's the punishment after? Like, there's there's some very famous comedians that, you know, were known for stealing jokes, you know, and stole jokes. And then they were interviewed years later. And it's like, yeah, I did. So what? Get over it. I wrote, you know, uh, so it is um, it is a tough world uh, to, to uh, that. Yeah, and so- that's why I have a lot of respect to comedy specifically for that reason. It's like, mm-hmm. it used to be, when I first, like, being around comedy, it used to be like, they told me that the rules is like, whoever says it in TV first, that's their joke, you know? So you need to be able to get in TV. I mean, that was...
2: You need a... to get it... When TV was not get... TV. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be able to get it out first. But the thing is, though, I mean it's possible to get busted for joke stealing. And, you know, frankly, the the best way to like protect yourself now is to be creative in a different way. Like, you make what they call observational comedy, which is all the rage now. You talk about yourself. You know, like Boris said, you know, how many other people have his own experiences, the kind of experiences he has? So, so only Boris could talk about those kinds of experiences. You know, so, I mean, if you stole a joke that he made, about his experiences, then it becomes very obvious that you've taken the joke from him. But if you simply are making a joke that is in the um, very common area, a political comedy joke, you know, it, like you're talking about Donald Trump or Joe Biden, all that stuff. Yeah, it could be easily stolen. Either, well, it could be taken, not necessarily by being stolen, but people could also like think along the same lines as yourself. So the most effective way to like stay away from the rat race is to do observational comedy that focuses on your own background, your own experiences, your own peculiarities. So, I mean, if you are able to do that, yeah, then, um, you're better shielded from, you know, the actions of joke thieves. But the other one I mentioned here was, um, in case of a Michael Shea from SNL, again, like jokes that are posted on social media, some girl, who does jokes on TikTok, you know, who talks about a home girl that comes in to help people solve their problems? So she made those jokes. And then Shea, Michael Shea, made the same jokes, or broadly similar jokes, you know, on his own, you know, platform. Um, some HBO thing that he was, HBO Max show that he had. So she sues him, say, Well, you know, you took this thing from me. Again, I need to get paid. Well, that one is still pending. But the one from Conan O'Brien settled. You know, O'Brien they, walked away. They paid out the Conan one paid out. Yeah, they paid out, yeah. I mean he well, didn't admit he well, didn't I, admit. I my
0: think a couple of things for that. One, because you know, you know Michael Shea and uh, you know a lot of you know and not just no knowing somebody I think you could tell that, you know, again he's the head writer, you know, there's writers after him, under him, but I don't he's not from my experience not that kind of guy that, you know. Uh, things and the other thing is with stalling uh, with the settling cases you know we all know especially those who have businesses of especially in production or or mm-hmm. in uh, in restaurants and stuff settling does not mean that you agree settling that no, means no, right. business no. decision no i'm just saying to the audience that you know i will say you know Yeah, a- you, it's a business decision to save more money like if 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 boris claim that i did something to him like i hit him or something and it's gonna cost me twenty thousand dollars just to go to court and close my shop and do this or do that or pay him five it's a business decision some people that have a lot of money will be like you know what i stick to my rules but a business decision to settle that doesn't mean that this is true you know Um, and for, for somebody like you know uh, like I said, like Michael Shea, you know, you see him all the time. Uh, we know him. We see him for years. You know, if somebody had that thing of stealing, it would it would appear, it's especially for somebody you see him all the time. Yeah, he definitely you
1: know? does not have that reputation.
0: Yeah, it's not going to awesome. be, you know, he's not going to go to TikTok. I don't think he have time to go to or he look for jokes in TikTok. I think it could be vice versa. And I think it should, you know, maybe the other person that did it and then say it. But anyway. I think, you know, let me let me add one thing, though. There is also
1: an adverse incentive and and particularly for the latest generation of comedy uh, comics that kind of live on Twitter and live on these social media platforms where there is a currency of victimhood and a currency of being wronged. That is You're able to either monetize literally or monetize in terms of an audience. There is an adverse incentive where like a normal person might look at this joke you made on Twitter and look at the joke Michael Shea or whoever else made and be like, you know, it feels to me really reasonable that this is parallel thinking. It's very unlikely that this guy's following you, whatever. But there's still an incentive to sue because now you have your name. You're a comedian who's been doing it two years. No one gives a shit about you. All of a sudden, there's now a Gawker article about how you're suing Michael Shea. Now, you're officially a comedian, according to this journalist in Gawker. You know, you've got Google results all of a sudden for something that has nothing to do with you being funny, you know. And Absolutely. there's now this incentive to milk that on the internet. And, you know, it could do more for your career than than other people who, you know, are actually producing comedy.
2: Now, two things that you know, I have two things to say to that. Number one, first of all, Conan O'Brien settled. He did not admit that he stole the joke. So like uh, Hatem said, it probably was a business decision, you know, to like just make this thing go away, get on with business. You know, this guy is just some guy from wherever, you know, trying to like come into my space and things. So so he said he didn't admit liability. And then the other one is what he just said. There's this perverse incentive, you know, that people might have to like go mix it up with some big name guy. You know, some bold-faced name that you know people are talking about. So they talk about both of you in the same sentence, in the same context. So it kind of enhances you, right? If you like, exactly. uh, Yeah. Imagine if you get if you sue Donald Trump, for instance, today you sue Donald Trump. I mean, you become some big guy in the news. You know, so it's, it's this kind of dynamic that happens. So did I sue comes Donald Trump? To, do you yeah, want to exactly. rep- do you want to represent me? Let's make a name for both of us. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, so it's kind of part of what I'm talking about in this book that lawsuits today have become uh, almost a cost of doing business, that people sue you for all sorts of reasons. Some are aggrieved genuinely, others are doing it strategically, others are doing it for the perverse incentive that you mentioned, you know, to like raise their profile, you know, by antagonizing, a, you know, a nationally known figure, that kind of thing. So yeah. It's a crazy space these days that, you know, um, it's a crazy situation these days with with respect to comedy and the lawsuits and, you know, stuff of that nature um, in a place like America that is, you know, addicted to to suits.
0: So let me ask you a few questions about, you know, a quick question if it's like, okay, you can get in trouble or you can't get in trouble. Like, okay, comedian, like I just give you different scenarios and Boris, feel free to jump in with scenarios when when you're like... Comedians making fun of somebody um, in the crowd of a comedy club, you know, so a comedy, uh, uh, you know, a customer who's walking, went to the show, go sit and you make fun of whatever, you know, they are, you know, uh, their background, they look, whatever, like their ethnicity, their, you know, directly to them. And scenario number two, if you say something that offends them in general, is there any ground for, for lawsuits, winnable lawsuits there?
2: Two things. Um, um. First, you may get in trouble with uh, the mob, you know, the work intimidators and the council, you know, culture contingent, you know, who might feel maybe you're punching down. And, you know, yeah. so they might uh, badmouth you. And if you're not strong enough in comedy, they could even maybe cancel you and things like that. So that's what you have to worry about, the court of public opinion. Yeah. But in terms of the law, the regular law, law courts and, you know, the law that we uh talk about everyday law. No. Um
0: so do, all, does does club have to say like uh I mean you are entering a comedy club, kinda like he go to the bar, it's like I got drunk, you know. So that does does the comedy clubs have any um, uh, liability should they protect themselves? Like, hey, this is a free speech venue. I mean, it is known that it's for a free speech. Not a venue of a
1: foreseeable you know. consequence of yeah going to a comedy. You know,
0: well, I know, I know. Like when we film stuff, like if I have a show somewhere and I'm filming, uh, we say at the door and they will have signs and we say the tickets. You know, uh, this show will be filming, so you know, you don't want to bring somebody you're cheating with. You know, what I'm saying right. stuff like that. So that's that's yeah. the right, but. Uh, but, oh, uh, let me, I have another one. What about all the, vi- you know, the videos that we see on TikTok or, you know, people wearing body cam and, and interacting with people who don't know that they're in cameras, you know, uh, but they do it anyway. Is that like, and they say, like, I feel like every time, like when they're filming a cop even, and the cop says, stop filming, is like, you're outside, I have the right to do that. Is that, is that the thing? Like, can you film Anybody that's walking the street or can you be filmed in another way? Um,
1: It depends on the state, right? New York is one party
2: consent. Uh, No, but if you're in a public space, you know, if you're out there in the public space, I don't know that you can uh, stop people from, you know, filming you or talking about you or seeing you, but you're talking about like more like invasion of privacy. You know, somebody can like come into your place and start filming you. or, Or maybe there is a nightclub or a comedy club where you say, well, no filming allowed. So if it's that kind of situation, yeah, then you cannot film. But... Um, no, I'm talking more
0: about the TikToks and, and you know, pranking uh, people and stuff like that on the street. Like, you can just wear a body those camera. Those people are
1: street. getting
0: shot now. In your country, they got shot. I saw that kind of camera. <laughs> you could do that unless.
2: And I mean in Russia,
0: I, I saw that poor kid that got shot.
2: I mean, I cover a case in the book where some there's a guy in, in Florida who gives wedges. You know, wedges where you mm-hmm. reach behind, reach into somebody's uh yeah. pants and a bunch of yeah. I of will not undies. feel bad for that guy when he gets shot. <laughs> so he gives people all uh, you know wedges and things, and of course, that was different because you know that was like an assault. Yeah, you know, that that's a practical joke. Mm-hmm. You know, so he um uh, you know he got some prison time for you know. So, prison time for that, even though he didn't really solve the thing, but yeah, they, you know, they charged him. But, you know, the the situation, you mentioned this situation where the responsibility of comedy clubs for people's actions in there. Well, if the comedian commits what they call a tort, some, I don't know, some violation, then yeah, it becomes his problem, but not the comedy club's problem. I mean, I have a case in the book. I don't know I don't know if you guys know this comedian, name of Andy Dick.
1: Yeah, of course.
2: All right, so Andy Dick, he goes to a show where he was performing, and then he was wearing like a skirt and no underwear while he was performing. Right? Andy so Dick's time... famous
1: for this behavior. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so one thing, you know, as he performed, you know, things got charged, charged up, and hot and heavy. So he got, comes down, and then he was walking down the aisle, you know, toward the back of the room. And then some fan who was sitting uh, near the aisle asking for an autograph. So Andy stopped, you know, grabbed the guy's head and shoved it in his bear crotch. You know, just sorry, just so silly stuff. You know, and then the guy was so offended. Uh, the guy, then he sued the nightclub. So he sued the comedy club, and then he sued Andy Dick. You know, but what do you guys think? I mean, let let me just uh, give you a little quick. What do you think would happen? Who would be liable there? Did the guy's face, like, actually touch Andy Dick's penis? Yeah, yeah, he's. Oh, well, that's
1: assault, right? That's got to be a sexual assault. And I think Andy Dick's been charged with sexual assault in other contexts as well. That's a different, yeah,
2: that's, you know. But this was a performance. This was at a performance, you know, where he was actually Right, but you don't get to
1: assault audiences at a performance, right?
2: All right. So, yeah, how about the club? What do you think would happen? Would the club be liable? I don't think so.
1: I hope not, but I can see it happening.
2: Well, the club was sued too, but you're right. You know, he's not going to get the club because, you know, the club is not going to... Somebody mentioned the foreseeability, reasonable expectation. Yeah. You wouldn't... A comedian is performing. You wouldn't expect him to, like, go and, you know, start violating post-rights in that way. You know, so, you know, it's not something you could hold them liable for. Yeah. You know, It's not within, you know it's not within the things you could expect, you know, from that kind of show, you know. So it's an intentional act. If it's like something done out of negligence, then you could hold the club liable. But, you know, this was an intentional act. A comedian decides to just, you know, break the law against somebody else. There was no way that the comedy club could have stopped him. I mean, they didn't know what was in his head before, just before he did that thing. So yeah. Yeah, you couldn't... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, no, I... Uh,
0: yeah, I think I think uh, that there is a lot of like little things like like we said, a lot of people try to, you know, uh, use the law to get either, you know, recognition. And that's what I think is like, I I, I think that a lot of times it should be if this uh, law becomes, uh, you know, if you if you lawsuit is is not right. I think you should be liable for the fees and insurance and attorney of the other party that you accused um, and you have no ground, you know, uh, well, except
2: that. It's like that in some countries, but not here. You know, yeah. in this country, the American rule, everybody pays uh, his or her well, unless unless there is some contract where you provide for attorney's fees. You know, if you don't have that kind of provision, then, you know, you uh, eat your own cost. But let me ask you one more thing, like one case I covered here, um, George Wallace. See if you guys, uh, the comedian George Wallace, he was performing uh, at the Bellagio. Right. He had a residency and he was performing and then he tripped, tripped on a wire. He fell and injured his Achilles uh, heel and, you know, was out for a while. What do you think would happen? You think the um, the venue will be responsible for that? Did he sue the venue? Of course. Well, that's why it's in the book. Every book, every case here is a lawsuit. OK, so he
0: uh, he uh, he law he sued the, the venue for what? It depends on what, what the His if injuries.
2: No, he, his injuries.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I think if 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 he can prove that you know, um, I think it's the venue will be uh, reliable for it. Uh, you know, uh, liable for it. If if the the wires wasn't set into the uh, industrial, you know, um,
2: um,
0: level of. Uh, All right, you're right. You're right. He won. He won
2: over a million dollars for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: these things is, like, I think if you, like, I know if you, like, let's say you walk off a stage and you tripped, you know, in a regular stairs, that's really not on you. But if there is something, an objective or something for the production that mm-hmm. you were not trained to do it, that's why we have, like, a, you know, pre-production, like, walk-off and stuff like that. with comedians like, okay, there's a wire here, there's things here. And these things are usually filmed, so they know, you know, so... Um... Now you're thinking like a trial lawyer. <laughs> I've been through a lot. Yeah, now you're thinking like a trial lawyer. <laughs> but but I, you know, yeah, it's it's very funny. I would like. What about okay? What about uh, we saw this uh, uh, this a lot um, recently? Somebody like, uh, let's say the Will Smith. Um, so this here's a question. This should be fun. You know the Will Smith Chris Rock incident. You know mm-hmm. now there were Chris was at a stage you know, the Oscars, obviously, and Will Smith's went the stage and them. assaulted him. You know, so what is, can can the Chris, if he wants, I know he didn't want to, but if he wants to, can he sue the Oscars, and can he sue the venue, and he can sue um, Will Smith?
2: No, no. Well, it comes back to sort of what we just discussed, like intentional act. You know, Will Smith, when he... Chris Rock could sue the Oscars if, you know, the Oscars had reason to know that Will Smith would behave that way and they let him do it anyway. In other words, he'd be suing them for negligence. But if Will Smith went in there, you know, just as a guest, and then while he was there, he decides on his own, right there, to go up to the stage and commit this act, a very intentional act. In other words, it was not foreseeable when they let him, you know, in the Oscars to go sit down, get a seat, become a guest. Let me ask a better be one then. To... Hmm.
0: Can he sue the, the security company?
2: No. Again, same thing. It's an intentional act. Intentional. No, but your security
0: company is the one providing that no one gets near
2: you. Okay, that's different. That's different. Yeah. You know, if um if there is yeah, but I mean, if you have to prove that yeah, I know... can be a lawyer. Hmm. You can be, a, you, you know, you like Well, it long.
1: seems weird because it's not a rando rushing up like. It's also not foreseeable to security that Will yeah, it's Smith just, is about it's to, to sue
2: an The only person you could sue will be, um, you know, um, Will, will Smith, Smith. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Okay, what about
1: Pinkett? And maybe Jada Pinkett because she's pulling all the strings, really. <laughs> you know?
0: What? What? What about uh, that no. guy who attacked Dave Chappelle? Can you sue um, the? Sec- I think I think that's a, a case for. I mean, uh, Dave have his own security, obviously, but uh, they beat the shit out of that guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's a good question. So they. Beat, can that guy sue them for getting beat you know, in after try. the fact
2: or well, if they beat it, well you know you're getting into a very difficult area he could yep. always sue them but you know again um uh, if they use excessive force then it could become a problem or if they used force that they didn't have to use I mean you don't have to beat him up just because he was trying to get into a scuffle. I mean you're a knife too yeah well, so knife. you could take a, you could take the knife away from him or if you have to use violence to get the knife away from him if you could show that he was threatening somebody you know he was he uh, he posed the danger of imminent harm to somebody so yeah. unless uh uh-huh, you could prove those kinds of you know intricate circumstances otherwise you cannot use that kind of force and especially first of all, if you're a security guard, you are not exactly. You don't have as much authority as the cops to do some things, you know. So you can exactly use that kind of violence.
0: Yeah, you know?
2: so yeah. He could. They could I'm asking. I'm
0: asking all these questions because I'm. I'm planning to attack Boris later on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting my information to know what's gonna happen. And well,
2: you know, yeah. Now you're getting the advice. You know,
0: be careful out there. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap it up. uh, you know just to sum up uh, for the book like who do you think this book could work for uh like who should be reading this book and what oh what's the top three things that they can uh like obviously you mentioned a lot of uh, scenarios in your book of comedians and examples of lawsuits which is good because you can learn from these things but what's who is this book for and what's the three top things that people could learn from that book
2: thanks i appreciate that question so the book primarily is for comedians especially both frankly comedians at every stage of the game both those coming in and those who have attained uh you know stardom because it covers uh, it gives you a 360 degree of uh, the kinds of stuff uh you could encounter and most of the folks who are covered in this book they are you know very you know famed celebrities who have made fame and money you know but you know they have all these issues and you know like i said you know um because of what comedy has become today, something where you could make money and celebrity, and uh, which something that has become very important in the pop culture, then comedy has come into the crosshairs of America's litigious society. It has become the shiny new thing for people, you know, filing lawsuits. So yeah, so this is for every comedian out there, you know, folks who might wish to ride your coattails to mm. fans. These are ways you could protect yourself, beginning from when you make the contract to, you know, what you can say, uh, and stay safe, and, you know, how to protect your joke. First of all, your joke today is like money. You know, what Louis CK said one time, I think, yeah, 2011, that every, every new generation of jokes he makes is like his money, like a farmer's annual crop, money in the bank. Yeah, that's what jokes have become today. So to protect your joke, You know, yeah, it's something you want to uh, pay close attention to. And if you're a new comic, yeah, you don't want to get into comedy without reading a book like this because it kind of lays out the landscape for you in terms of, uh, you know, what you have to avoid. Because, you know, these days with the new phenomenon of lawsuits as a new cost of doing business, doing comedy today has become sort of like walking through a minefield in our culture today within a litigious society like America, even though we have a lot of freedom under the First Amendment, but still, you know, um, the environment out there today is very choppy with lawsuits and other dangers lurking for a comedian. So first, the book is a must read for comedians. Now, for other people who are not comedians, who care about the First Amendment and the legacy of free speech that we enjoy in this society, which sets us apart from other societies like Canada and all these other places where you could get in trouble for doing things that nobody here would even consider problematic. So if you care about those things, comedians are like people on the front lines of free speech in America today because you know they say the most offensive things. And if you could protect people who say the most offensive things, people who fly closest to the sun, then it means you could protect all the rest of us. So, I mean, like Elon Musk said one time that um, free speech means nothing unless you're willing to accord the right of free speech to people you don't like, who might say things that you don't like. So comedians are like our proxies, our proxies in the fight over free speech. If they lose, we lose. So we have a dog in the fight, the comedians. Those of us who are not comedians who care about free speech, this wonderful legacy and gift that sets us, apart, sets us apart from other societies, so yeah. Uh, and if so any friends
0: uh, get, a, you know, sued, they can just contact you. Yeah, they can contact. Oh
2: yeah, you. yeah, they can do that. You know, but the thing is, You're, uh, do you do contract as well? Yeah. Now here's the thing. Um, if if you don't read any chapter in this book, if you just have time to read only one chapter in this book read the chapter on free speech. It's the biggest chapter here. It covers, I mean, one reviewer said uh, if your name is not in this book, then you're not important in comedy. I wouldn't go so fast to say that, but you know, there are lots of <laughs> books who are covered in this book. But yeah, so the second chapter on free speech, if you have time to read only just one chapter, read that. I mean, it's uh, the biggest chapter here. It really lays out the roadmap for you to
0: yeah, I can. I can. Um, I can't wait to uh to read it. And last question, oh, so, uh, unless
2: Boris uh, and you, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that's what it looks like. Uh, comedy goes to court when people stop laughing and stop fighting.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um. Uh, do you have? Uh, I don't know, if Boris. Have a, a a final question, but is there a definition for comedian, or? No, so I understand you are on a comedy club stage, you are a comedian, but I'm saying, like, let's say you're in a wedding, you're in a concert, you because you know, a lot of people you're on TikTok, you know, a lot of people say, like, oh, I'm a comedian. Do you get protected under free speech for these things for for TikTok, for uh, the, you know, uh, social media stuff like that? Is that a free speech?
2: Well, comedy is not like law where you have to have a license to practice law, you know, yeah, comedy is be. like uh, maybe you know, I think you want to be. be- It's like journalism. Because it's kind of like being a journalist. You know, you don't have to be licensed to be a journalist. So a journalist, you can say, well, who is a journalist? Who could get a pass to a public event where journalists are allowed to cover the event? Well, you know, it comes down to what the conditions are for granting that kind of pass. So, but, you know, you don't don't have a license, like a lawyer. I mean, if a lawyer has a license, then he or she has an automatic right to be in a courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. Have a so comedy is not like that but you know who is a comedian well comedians make people they are there to render jokes to get a laugh and things like that so if somebody is believed to be a comedian i guess it comes down to uh what the public thinks of a particular person's uh, activity so if they con- consider you a comedian yeah in terms of the first amendment and the protections of free speech of course you know if you're a comedian you get those protections Even if you're not a comedian, but you you say things that uh, are protected under the First Amendment. Yeah, free speech. Yeah. All right. Boris, you have a a question before we go?
0: No, no. That was uh, all very interesting. Uh, All right. So comedy goes to court. Comedy goes to court when people stop laughing and start fighting. I'll leave a link to the book in the description of this episode. Uh, Boris, you want to leave your information where people can find you and uh, follow you and all that?
1: Sure. At the Boris K. online. And when does this come out? Tuesday. Oh, cool. So um, March 6th, I'll be in Hoboken at Mulligan's Pub. And then March 21st, 22nd, 24th, I'll be in Napa for the Napa Valley Comedy Festival. Uh, You could check out the schedule online and all that. But yeah, that Thursday, I'll be at the Napa Valley Performing Arts Center um friday i'll be at downtown joe's and sunday i'll be at napa garden
2: wonderful and uh if you want to read more about these issues you can go to my blog ocarlslaw.com
0: okay ocarlslaw.com. Ocarls- and uh,
2: ocarlslaw.com, Yeah,
0: i'll also leave the uh you know the uh, the information in the description and you can email us at live from america at ComedySeller.com. Norm will be back next week. And we next week, surprisingly, we have, uh, speaking of this, we have one of the head writers for um, John Oliver show. So should be... Uh,
2: ask him about this. It <laughs>
0: should be interesting. Uh, yeah, so I'll ask him about this for sure. Well, guys, thank you so much and uh, have a great night and talk soon. Norm will be back next week. Can't wait.